0: Welcome to the Daily Dad Podcast. During the week, we bring you a daily meditation of the best parenting wisdom you can find drawing on history and philosophy and psychology literature to inspire you to be a little bit better at the most important job you have. And then on the weekends, I have sort of a wrap-up conversation with my friend, fellow dad, and writing partner, Niels Parker. We just explore what's going on in our lives, what we're struggling with as parents, what we're doing well, what we want to do better what we've learned along the way, and what we've learned in the last week. So let's go. Why take a multivitamin? It's to be healthy. But the truth is, most people don't know what is in their multivitamin. Some of them have weird stuff, sugars, GMOs, synthetic fillers, artificial colors, and God knows what else. But Ritual is not your typical multivitamin. It's got a clean, vegan-friendly formula made with key nutrients and forms your body can actually use without any weird extras. Ritual is formulated with key nutrients, including vitamin D3 to help fill gaps in the diet. And their fresh-lasting, delayed-release capsules dissolve later, so you can take them with or without food. Ritual multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping always, and you can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime If you don't love Ritual within the first month, they'll refund your first order. Everybody deserves to know what's in your multivitamin, including you. And that's why Ritual is offering you, our listeners, 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash dailydad start Ritual today. Hey, everyone. As you know, I'm a bit of a philosophy nerd. That's what I write about. That's what gets me excited. Uh, So how do you teach your kids about this? Obviously, that's something... I think about a lot. It's also something I've been asked a lot about even well before I had kids. I've never really had a great answer, so it's a question I tried to pass on to a philosopher I admire, Agnes Callard. She's a philosophy professor at the University of Chicago who specializes in ancient philosophy and ethics. She's also interested, and I think this is where she's most compelling, in how we get other people interested in philosophy, and in this clip, we talk about how to teach our kids about philosophy. It's not easy to get your kids to talk about a bunch of old dead white guys, as we now jokingly uh, refer to them. But it is important about how we share the ideals, the the sort of first principles that the Greeks and Romans helped figure it out, and uh, that's what we talk about in this episode. I think it's something you don't push; you pull them towards. You've got to make it attractive. You've got to make it interesting. You've got to model the behavior. Uh, As Marcus Aurelius says, let's not waste time arguing what a good man should be like. Let's be one. As Epictetus says, don't talk about philosophy, embody it. But how do we both embody it and talk about the philosophies? That's the important thing. And that's what we talk about in today's episode with Agnes Callard. You can check out her book, Aspiration The Agency of Becoming. And she wrote a great essay in On Anger, one of the New Yorker's top books of 2020. Check that out. Here's my interview with Agnes Callard. I read your piece on acceptance parenting, which I thought was fascinating. And I've got two young kids, so I I related to it. How does... uh, the sort of question of your piece is sort of like, how do you raise kids to be successful in an uncertain world, which is, I think, deliberately an unanswerable question. That's sort of your, your premise of the piece. But maybe my question to you would be, and maybe you don't have an answer, maybe you do. How does one raise philosophical kids? Like, how does one apply, you know, as you said, the sort of more hands-on version of uh, Socrates' philosophical approach how do you how do you cultivate that in kids?
1: So it's weird because I don't I don't see myself at all as having set out to do that.
0: How old are and, your kids or your your kid? Uh,
1: my kids are seventeen, twelve, and seven. But okay. my seven year old recently, it turned out in school, they asked what they wanted to be when they were. Uh, and they grew up and he said not only did he say a philosopher but he he said he didn't put it in these words cuz he basically said he wants to be a philosopher who works on Spinoza.
0: <laughs> <Ooh>.
1: <laughs> because we had talked to him about he has this view that like god is everything and god is in everything and we've talked him about how this is actually he's he's kind of reinventing Spinozism. <laughs> and stuff so he's like okay, I guess that's my thing, you know, I'm going to work on Spinoza. <laughs> um, so I definitely think my kids have absorbed a lot of um you know philosophical culture um and i think um maybe maybe it's that um, some people have like multiple hats um like you know they they speak in multiple different registers or um they have like a diff- like uh, several personae right um so you might for instance you might meet them and talk to them in their office and then you might hear them give a lecture and then you might be- go to their house, and they would seem sort of like three different people. Um, and I'm less like that than anyone I know. <laughs> like, I, I don't have um, multiple registers. So it's it's less like a matter of... Um,
0: so philosophy isn't a performance for you, it's who you are.
1: Right. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that it's a performance for those people either. Like they they might just have three authentic selves or something. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's just that I don't have any other self to fall back on. <laughs> um, and so I didn't have any other way to do parenting than to like ask my kids questions and talk to them about things. And, um, um, so, so it, it 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 was not at all a strategy, but I do think it has ended up making them be quite philosophical. And they have told me, like, when they go to other kids' houses, they're like, they don't argue at all in the dinner table. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, you know, it's like, it's unimaginable for us to have a dinner table conversation that doesn't involve some argument about. Like last night, it was, um, what is, my seven-year-old came up with, what would be the best kind of glove you could have? If you could have your dream glove. It's like, what a weird question, right? (laughs) But You know, it was like, okay, so now we're going to like try and think about what is the ideal kind of glove. And then there were all kinds of questions about whether, for instance, if there were claws and things coming out of the glove. Did that count? Was that like a glove or that not even a glove anymore, right? So the borderline between a glove and non-glove is has to get adjudicated in this conversation about what's the dream glove, right? That's like a normal dinner conversation for us. And I kind of like can't imagine what we would talk about if we didn't do that. But I know mostly from my kids that that's like not the way what other people do. So I don't, I don't have a good, uh, it wasn't like, I wasn't selecting between options. Let's put it that way.
0: Did you actively encourage this idea of having sort of debates and discussions over dinner? Or or again, was that just something that sort of happened because they saw uh, you doing that?
1: Yeah, I think that um, my guess, if I had to guess as to how it would arise, it would be something like this, um, you know, say with my oldest, right, like we'd be sitting at the table and I would be trying to have a conversation with my husband, that, now ex-husband, but at the time husband, while my son was like, you know, eating his food and blabbering and whatever. And eventually, like my son would figure out that he has to try to participate in the conversation that we're having right. if he's gonna like get our attention. Right. And then with each child, they're in a sense, they have to um join the club or something, you know, and they right. have to find a way to join it. And I do think we make an effort. Something we so I don't think a lot of this is intentional. But the part that is intentional is we make a very big effort to always include everyone in the conversation. Um, we have rules about like things you're not allowed to talk about like, at dinner is like things where other people haven't like seen the movie or read the book. or you know. Right. Um, um, so the conversation has to be open and accessible. And then there's just a strong incentive, I think, for the kid, the youngest kid to get up to speed to the point where they can participate so I, my guess is that that's how it goes. It's not that we tried to bring it about. We did try to be a bit open, but it's that they want to be, they want to participate. And like, this is the price of admission.
0: Well, one of the questions I get from a lot of people, they'll go like, how can I introduce my kids to stoicism or how can I introduce my kids to philosophy? What advice do you have? And this, you know, some it's, it's funny. Like sometimes they'll be like, you know, my kid is seven. How do I introduce them to philosophy? And then other times they'll be like, my kid's a... 20, you know, 21 year old junior in college, how do I introduce them to philosophy? It's funny to me that the question is still the same, but right. I'm. It, it also strikes me at how modern that question is because like, I don't think that's what the Greeks or the Romans were thinking. Like, like you know, uh, George Washington was considered like stupid among the founders. Because he'd only read philosophy in English as a child, ha- didn't also know it in, in Greek, Latin or French, the way that say Jefferson did. So there's this, there's almost this kind of patronizing uh, approach that we have today where it's like, of course, you know, a kid couldn't understand these ideas, but uh, for thousands of years, kids have understood these ideas.
1: Yeah. I think that it's going to be very hard to introduce your kids to philosophy if you're not interested in it. Sure. So, and I think if you are like, you're, um, you're just going to end up talking to them about it. Like, so, I mean, that is, I think that like you have to, in terms of introducing them, like it, you know, at least for me, the most natural way that it comes up is just that there's like some question that we want to know the answer to, (laughs) um, and um uh you know like what what was one one we really debated for a long time was um um uh if 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 there were um con- my, this is my 7 year old came up with this if there were conjoined twins and one of them committed a crime uh and you should you put them both in jail um so uh and sure. you know questions about like lots of interesting questions arose about like like, could the sec- could the innocent twin really have been fully innocent? Like, could he have not known at all if they're conjoined, right? And maybe they could have resisted or something. Um, but, like, it's more important to not jail the innocent than to jail the guilty. But what if the crime is really bad, right? Uh, so lo- lo- this this question has, like, tons of interesting stuff about moral responsibility, you know, baked into it. And I think, like, if you're interested in the question, then kids are... are I think in certain ways, kids are more naturally philosophical than adults. Like, I feel like the question should be from kids, how do I interest my grown-ups in philosophy?
0: <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe it's how do I not discourage my kids' interest in philosophy? And maybe first and foremost is not making them think philosophy is this thing, this external sort of ghettoized thing. But we go back more towards the Socrates model, which is that philosophy is asking questions about what you know and don't know and trying to get to truth in some form or another. It's, it's philosophy is not philosophizing. Philosophy is, is the the search and the love of wisdom.
1: Yes. But I also think it's nice to have these sort of figures that are kind of like philosophy heroes. um, Of course. Where like, even, you know, even if, um, I mean, my two older kids have actually read philosophical texts and my younger one hasn't. But like, but like recently he was really, really, really angry about something. I can't remember what it was, but he, and he was trying to think of the worst thing that he could say. And he said something like, I don't like Aristotle. Aristotle was stupid.
0: <laughs> he was exactly and that just stupid. stabbed you in the heart.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so like that indicates, right, that in his mind, Aristotle, you know, he's never read mm-hmm. any Aristotle, but has a kind of status, Right. Um, and so I think that, like, the idea that people have been thinking about these things for thousands of years, and there were these kind of, like, heroes of thought, um, that we have sort of access to, um, uh, I think that that, kids really, um, uh, they connect with figures, I think, with individuals, people, right, um, um, so that, like, for my son, you know, like, Spinoza, like, that's, like, my my way of life is a is a person (laughs) my my thinking is you know can be can be sort of condensed into a person um that um I think that yeah so I would say like uh, you only need the cartoon version of each of these people or Mm -hmm. like some interesting points or something that's made by them I don't but I think that having some connection to that world um uh makes it in some way makes it real for kids
0: well you it's funny you said cartoon version right if you if you lived in a Roman villa your family would have you know busts of of Socrates or Cato or Seneca or, or you know you would have the you would have the likeness of these heroes embodied uh in in you know in your library or in your hallway um and this was a tradition that existed i mean until relatively recently, you know, I have this little bust of Marcus Aurelius on my desk that it was made in 1840. And, you know, that was before images could be so easily reproduced, I guess paintings too. But yeah, what what paintings were the Renaissance, you know, painters doing? It's the death of Socrates and the death of Seneca. Like Mm -hmm. it's also the imagery and creating this sort of lexicon or this familiarity with these figures to again, make them flesh and blood people that you're you're trying to either live up to or to be the opposite of. And maybe that's another way to teach kids philosophy, you know, instead of reading them, you know, instead of having a poster of Curious George up on the wall, you know, who, who's, who are the philosophical heroes you're helping them, them understand.
1: Right. And like, they, you know, they have other, they have, my kids have lots of heroes, so like Curious George too, but, um, but I think that like the idea that it's possible to devote your life to thinking i guess like mm-hmm. I, I think that it it's nice to have that as a um as a possibility as a possible life that's put before you um i mean i didn't have it as a kid but um um but I, and i and i it's not as though i intentionally put it forward to my kids um but that's just uh i i i guess i could you know I wouldn't be able to be me and not be always talking about these people that for me figure largely. So
0: no, I think it's interesting. Yeah, you you mentioned the the play that's that satirizes Socrates. You know, there's not a lot of uh philosophers that get parodied in uh in in, in hit films or plays these days. So there mm-hmm. there's you almost have to compensate by by Making philosophy relevant at home, so uh, because because certainly pop culture is not doing it the way that it would have done when these figures were essentially rock stars. Like nobody's nobody's bothering to put Socrates to death in in 2021 because uh, he's just not much of a threat.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. They talk That's about Socrates. True. <laughs> I, I used that. I used an image from that um, for a poster for for an event I did on public philosophy and my son saw it and was like what is this something from the 70s <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's why uh, that's when I realized like like many many people in my audience are not going to know what this is a reference to sadly
0: Well no when um, I tell people about Marcus Realist, I go you know the 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 guy the old guy at the beginning of Gladiator that Joaquin Phoenix's character kills and it was <laughs> It was so funny. I was talking to a, because my books have sort of become popular in sports. I was talking to a, a let's call it a, a first round high level draft pick in the NFL who had, who'd come to stoicism through my books. And, and it was, this is the first time I felt really old from, from this uh, is he, he said, you know, he'd, he'd read about Marcus realist and he goes, I'm thinking about watching the movie gladiator. Is it any good? Do I, should I watch it? And, it struck me that he was born the year that the movie Gladiator came out and is now 20 years old and, or 21 years old. And so even that movie is like probably the most philosophical movie as far as ancient Rome goes of the, the last you know, few decades isn't even relevant to him.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right that that is not there's not a lot being produced along those lines.
0: It's, uh but we we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to resolve that, and hopefully you know podcasts are new, and I mean we're also i to the one thing i that gets me excited is podcasts are to me some, some inching our way slightly back towards the sort of Socratic debates and the 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 sort of accessible but also popular discourses about philosophy that i i think I think you could take an ancient Roman and plug them into a podcast, and they they get what's happening here quite quite clearly
1: mm hmm yeah. Yeah, I think that's true, though. I think that like there's a kind of uh, you could, if you do a, like a spectrum um, and you had, I think you could have podcasts at one end and at the other end you would have something like, um, you know, philosophical dialogues in written in the dialogue form, but not written by Plato, you know, like, like, I don't know. Augustine or Hume or all these, all these other people who wrote dialogues, right? Not just Plato. It's not the only guy who wrote dialogues, Barkley. Right. Um, uh, so the, like the, the kind of um, philosophical dialogues, like they're, they're sort of, they're not as fun to read as Plato, like, because it, it sort of feels like the interlocutor is just a device.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, on the other hand, they get a lot of argumentative work done. Um, and then the podcast is I think very engaging and you sort of, there's a bunch of ideas put out there and it's 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 fun to listen to. I admit I like basically don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> I read them when there's a transcript but I find it very hard to listen. Um, uh, and like the Socratic dialogues are just this amazing middle ground in terms of being both engaging but also really pursuing a line of thought in a quite extended way, you know? for like, sometimes like, I mean, the Republic or the Gorgias, that's a lot of pages and it's quite focused, I think. So that's well, a thing I don't think we figured out how to do yet with podcasts.
0: But I, and I think, I think the difference there between those sort of three, uh, there's three examples on the spectrum, the thing that makes that this conversation engaging, but probably not essential. And, uh, the, the other dialogues as being, you know, uh, containing wisdom but not being interesting and what puts Socrates right there in the center is the urgency and the stakes of what happens. You know, he's talking about in some cases matters of life and death or he's talking yeah. about really real questions. What is courage? What is endurance? What is piety? You know, he's talking about the central questions of our time in the real world at real moments sometimes of of real physical peril. And uh thankfully, you might argue that none of that is at stake in this conversation. Uh, but but it's what makes Socrates sort of uh, the one and only.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I think there's a kind of most people who are on podcasts, both the podcaster and the guest. Are there there's a kind of leisure yes. <laughs> that a kind of lack of urgency. Um, that's that's you're right about that.
0: We're not um, arguing for our life or yeah. uh, for, you know. Not really arguing for anything. We're just having a conversation, and and uh, which is great. But there, some 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 element of, of 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 urgency falls away.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so so much. This was amazing. I'm a huge fan of your work, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk when your next book comes out.
1: Thank you. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Of course. Hey, thank you for listening to the Daily Dad podcast. Leave us a review in iTunes. It helps a great deal really appreciate it. And of course, if you know any other dads who could benefit from these messages, please let them know.